Good morning, folks online. I am Teresa Moyer, as Rich said, and uh, I am the associate pastor here. And, you know, it's funny. I don't watch baseball all summer, although it's my favorite sport. I grew up as a Yankees fan. And before you hate me, I feel conflict in the room already. We're going to be talking about conflict today, so it works pretty well. Um, this is not just any Yankees hat. This is my dad's Yankees hat, who passed away five years ago. So be gentle when you see this hat. It means a lot to me. But the reality is, every time I'm watching one of these games, we get to October, and we're like a three-sport family. And we don't watch sports all year. But even the Flyers this week came through, and that's Steve's favorite team. So we are happy about especially the squeaky night last night. Whew. What a roller coaster ride if you've been watching. So I've been watching carefully because it is possible that this might happen. Although unlikely after yesterday, I hate to tell my brother. But if this does happen, my brother and I are going to have some serious conflicts. Because as much as I grew up loving the Yankees, I am a root, root, root for the home team kind of girl. And so I just want to make my allegiance clear. Okay. So if, if I'm honest, that conflict thing in our house, you know, between our siblings was not just, you know, related to silly things like sports. It was a daily event. I remember Natalie's dad at one of the birthdays parties saying, why are the kids fighting all the time? My brothers and sisters and I, we never fought. And I'm like, we never did anything else. Uh, that's not entirely true, but we did live our lives with this conflict of sibling rivalry all the time. It's nice to see that when we are adults now, even though we have adult-sized conflicts, what really roots my siblings and I together is the love that our father and our mother really deposited into us. So hang on, because as my mom goes in and out of the hospital, my brother's wife was in and out with a terrible surgery the past couple of weeks, and the, the camaraderie, the love that is bonding my siblings together is just so contrasting to all the conflicts we have walked through in life. So there is hope. But it isn't just in families that we see conflicts, right? I mean, <laughs> look at our government right now. God help us. So, um, you know, newspapers, online, headlines are filled with countless reports of conflict. People at odds with each other. You know, I was watching with my mom when she got home from the hospital this week, and we were watching the news in New York, and one shooting after another, after another, after a robbery, after another. And she looked at me, she goes, it's getting like you don't want to go outside anymore. And I thought... From her 92-year-old perspective, I know that's true. I mean, think about what she's seen in society through the last nearly 100 years. I've stopped listening to local morning news. I just can't handle every morning anymore hearing about how many people were shot overnight, how many rapes, how many assaults, how many conflicts for things that are like, what? You know, a guy got kicked out of a bar, goes and finds a gun, comes back and shoots up the bar. What? According to Philadelphia City Controller to date, there, and this is as of October 19th, there were 430 homicides in 2022. Victims of gun violence were 1533, non-fatal, 403, fatal. But here's the interesting part. There's a 2% decrease from last year. So I guess it's good news. But it's not even just out on our streets late at night that people are running into conflicts that they don't know how to manage. Just a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine who just has a new job, 
Okay, it's on. I'm clicking. I'm clicking. There we go. Okay. He has a new job in a suburban school system as a police officer. Now, I imagine that my friend's new job looks something like this. You know those little square desks that you have with you put your books on the inside? I figured he was sitting there in the mornings by the front door with his feet up on one of those desks, sipping some coffee, saying, hey, kids, as they walked in the door. I'm like, what a great job, right? So I said to him after a couple of weeks of this, hey, how's your new job? He's like, oh, my gosh. I said, what happened? He said, two calls for... Um, Threats of gun violence reported both in the high school and the middle school. Eighth grader saying he's got a gun at home. He's going to go shoot up the principal. He's going to go shoot up the... Who else do you want me to shoot? He says to his friends. Conflict management. Woo-hoo! Something we've got to teach our kids. Something we have to learn ourselves. Now, before I go any further, I want to go on record saying that sometimes conflicts often conflicts, especially in poor, poor communities, stem from systemic injustices, from poverty, from trauma. I mean, I want everyone to realize I'm not ignorant to this and I am not playing these things down. These are serious situations. But today we're going to take a look at the kinds of conflict over which we do have power to bring peace. Conflicts between one another, conflicts in our homes, conflicts in our friendships and in our community. Because the reality is, if there are unresolved conflicts, sorry, I can't get this to advance. There we go. If there are unresolved conflicts in someone's life and no skills to manage them, what might have been manageable can escalate and go from a small offense to the loss of life in most extreme cases. Do a Google search. Can you advance the slide, please? Do a Google search for road rage on the Schuylkill and see how many reports come up in one year, right? Listen to this. This shocked me. This was in a suburban newspaper in Delaware County in Springfield Township, one of the nicest places in our region. A few months ago, this appeared in the newspaper. A 54-year-old township resident may have lost his life Wednesday morning in a road rage shooting for the perceived infraction of simply moving too slowly in a rush hour traffic. Son of the driver got out of the car, pulled a gun, and shot the guy in front of them. Dead. Because he was driving too slowly. People are losing the ability to live and walk in peace, to work out their issues. But we can be agents of change for our communities. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Because what will they be called? The children of God. When we walk as God's children, we become peacemakers in our world. And it can start here in our church and in our homes and in our neighborhoods. Now we've been looking at restoring our relationships and today we're going to take a look at one of the root reasons we might experience conflict and a couple of techniques to help ourselves and others walk in places of peace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for Gina's story. What a beautiful, beautiful story 
As Mike Turgiano said last month, boy, did you set us up well, Lord. Thank you. How conflict can be resolved when we take it to you first. So Lord, I pray that you move among all of us right now. Some of us are experiencing like you got a conflict right now in your head. And the Lord wants you to know he's gonna meet you here today. I really encourage you to get prayer after um, the sermon over here in our ministry time because it's already present. You know what conflict needs to be resolved. And I pray, Lord, or to be managed. I pray, Lord, that you would give the steps that you would dictate to each of us how to move forward, that you would instruct us and guide us in your ways of peace. In Jesus' name. We've all experienced conflict. I'm not sure we really need a dictionary definition of what conflict is, but I'm going to give you Webster's three definitions because I like to, okay? Number one, fight, battle, or war, okay? An armed conflict. Number two, a competitive or opposing action of incompatibilities, antagonistic states or actions, like divergent ideas or interests or ways of seeing life. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then the third one is uh, what occurs as a result of unmet needs or desires. Those are Webster's definitions. Now, in our society, it seems that if we have antagonism or divergent ideas fueled by social media, holy cow, can it explode into something unmanageable, a fight, a battle, or even a war? I wonder if what's going on in the Ukraine could have been managed. I don't know, right? But things can escalate that far. But God has called his followers to be peacemakers. <laughs> now, through my life, I've learned a few skills that can help us be agents of peace. And I wish I could say that I learned about conflict management through excellent books and videos and seminars and workshops. However, that is not true. I have learned about conflict and managing conflict and resolving conflict through the mistakes I have made in my own life and what God has brought into my life to learn to handle them. Been many times I've found myself on one side or another of a very, very difficult conflict and other times where I've been in a position to mediate between others in a conflict which sometimes went well and sometimes did not. For a long period of my professional life, I worked with a very passionate man at the university where I worked. He was the director of the theater, and I worked in both the music and theater departments, and I was his associate director. The relationship was much in role like what I share with Rich. I have to work with his vision and follow what he is leading the group to do. I didn't learn that, until after 10 years of working together where we batted heads, beat each other down, beat each other up, wrestled with each other, talked about each other behind each other's backs, confided in our group of students or that group of students, it was misery. Sometimes it was great. <laughs> and sometimes it was misery. See, we had different ideals of beauty and art and expression of faith. He loved small, intimate productions that were a little edgy, sometimes rough around the edges, a little dirty. Not dirty in a bad way, but just like, you know, 
gritty, but always brilliant, always powerful, and often difficult to watch. He drew all the lost and marginalized and edgy students. He saw beauty in the pain of the human existence. So many people resonated with him. I often did not. I, on the other hand, loved large casts. The more, the better. The bigger, the better. The more love, the more unity, the, more, the, the, the bigger the orchestral scores, beauty in the redemption of the peace. I tended to draw those who wanted to see Jesus in everything that they did. I was always looking for musicals that would tell a redemption story. Both of us were avid Beatles fans, and I always thought that we were a bit like Lennon and McCartney. Now, if, if you're not familiar with Lennon and McCartney, brilliant artists, I don't claim to be as brilliant as either of them, but brilliant artists who saw life differently. When, when the Beatles broke up, Lennon wrote one of these lines in one of his songs, the music you make is like Muzak, elevator music, to my ears. That's how much dissonance was between them. McCartney's songs were romantic and sentimental and beautiful melodies, and Lennon was dealing with the grittiness of life and the pain and the difficulty of surviving. Beautiful stuff. Now, if these two guys don't work for you because you're too young and you don't know the Beatles music, maybe these two guys will work for you. Okay? <laughs> All right, so, so you know how Buzz and Woody get along. You know, they, they had a lot of conflicts, same, go same goals, same desires in life, but they, they wrestled a lot with the way they saw things in life. And if this picture doesn't work for you, maybe this one will. Oh, they posed that for us, and I'm going to see them tomorrow night. I'm really excited. So anyway, we'll leave that little cute picture of Woody and Buzz up there. So with my friend back at Eastern, I know it's hard to stop looking at them. After 10 years of debilitating conflict, I had said, I've had enough. I'm done. I can just go work in the music department. I can't do this anymore. It's bordering on abuse. I've got to go. And I was talking to our technical director, and I said, this is my last production. I can't do this. And he said, you know what? What you two bring to the students, the balance you offer to them is way more important than what you think. So you guys need to go get some conflict, manage, uh, conflict uh, mediation. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. I'm 40 years old. I'd never heard of mediation like that, except maybe in politics or you know, international affairs or something. So he said, well, you work in the communications department. Your chair probably knows how to do mediation. <laughs> So I, we called her, it, it, we, it, we decided we needed it, and I tell you no joke, 18 hours of conflict resolution, 18 hours, six weekly sessions of three hours of active listening, learning to pay attention, to respond, we're going to look at how to do that later on. But it did teach me the skill of active listening. Bless that woman. Could you go to the next slide, please? Yeah, that was her falling asleep. Okay. So the nice, the, the good part of this is that, thank you. The good part of this is that um, after that 18-hour session, <laughs> many sessions, my, my friend and I worked together for another, 10 year, another 12 years. And I can't say it was always blissful. I can't say we never had another conflict. 
Some of you in here witnessed them because you came through those programs. But we loved each other. And we were committed to working together for the benefit of our students because we weren't after conflict elimination. We were after conflict management, okay? And after 22 years total, when he suddenly died at the age of 55, I can say that I actually have no regrets and that I will treasure for the rest of my life the look he gave me and the little way he waved goodbye the last time I saw him. He was my brother. He was my work husband till I had to break up with him to marry Steve. <laughs> Conflict can be managed, but it takes work, it takes compassion, it takes humility, it takes a ton of self-reflection, repentance, forgiveness, and a willingness to be wrong, to grow, and to learn. It's an act of what scripture calls mutual submission. We don't like that word, especially in America. Submission means we become less than, right? And we like to fight for getting what we want. But the biblical translation of the word submission, and maybe it's a bad English word for what it really means. What it really means is to get underneath somebody else and lift them up to be all they can be. If you're doing that for me and I'm doing that for you, we're all getting lifted up. But boy, it takes a lot of work, a lot of humility, and a lot of love. Okay, so learning about conflict management doesn't mean that we won't have conflicts. It just means that we will learn how to keep them from escalating into something destructive. We walk as people of peace, as God has commanded us. And even here, since we started this church almost 20 years ago, 20 years after I learned these skills, I'm still running into conflicts. Right? I'm still doing things that injure people that I don't even know why I've done or what they're about. And people are injuring me and offending me for reasons I can't even understand. Why did that upset me so much? Like Gina shared in her God story, what's going on inside of me? That that was so upsetting to me. See, but the scripture says love is not easily angered or offended. So when we walk in love, we have the invitation to sort of go, wait a minute, let me not react. Let me take this to God and see what he has to say about it. And I am very grateful that, we, that God has helped us to continue to walk through the conflicts in love, in compassion, in patience, humility, and a lot, a lot of forgiveness. And as we stay in relationship, this is the cool part, we start to see each other differently. We don't see each other the way we assumed things were. Because God starts to show us what's really going on in them, what's really going on in us, and we can actually connect. Staying in a church, this is the value of a church. You have no options. I mean, you can leave, but we hope you don't. But you have no options but to see these people every week. So how we resolve these conflicts is so beautiful. Now when we look at each other, there's this love and depth of understanding that really wasn't there before because we are called to be people of peace. Now listen, some conflicts are really over righteous causes, right? Where you really do have to, as Rich said a couple months ago, contend for the faith. That's what Jesus was doing when he was throwing tables over in the temple, right? Contending for the truth of the faith. It still doesn't take away the reality that we're called to be people of peace. So 
entering into these righteous conflicts, we're still asked to be people of peace. Let's take a look at what God's word tells us about, number one, why we may experience conflicts, and then how we can manage and hopefully resolve some of them. So in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, thank you, Bindu, what causes fights and quarrels among you, James asks? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't have it. So in extreme cases, you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. Keep going. You do not have because you do not ask God. And you don't receive when you do ask because you ask with the wrong motives. How many times have we gone to God and said, can you help them understand how much they hurt me? So I look better. These are the wrong motives. Right? That's not God's heart. Essentially, James is helping his followers see that, if they're, that they're living out of their own self-orientation, right? As Gina was saying, out of our own self-protection. Our little child is crying out, I've got this! But we're called to let go of our childish ways and to embrace our adult, mature ways in Jesus. This is what Paul calls moving from the old sinful nature towards God's nature, which is God's gift to us. In the book of Ephesians, Paul teaches us, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust. Now we think of that sexually. Lust is just wanting something, right? Desiring. That's what our former nature is corrupted by. And deception. Bunch of lies, we believe. And this is what freedom and deliverance is all about. Setting us free from the old way of thinking into what God has given us. Verse 23, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, which is created to be just like God. Truly righteous and holy. We can't pretend to be this new creature we have to let God actually transform us into the image of his son. And that's what he's promised to do for the rest of our lives. So here's our very first direction as we learn how we can walk in peace through conflict. We have to throw our old sinful nature off of us and our former ways. I, I have to say, one of my young men in my young adult group, in my small group, said to me, you know, I really thought when I got baptized, I wouldn't be angry anymore, right? Like, I really thought it was all going to go away. But here's the answer to that. We do have this old nature, and we do have this new nature that God has given us. And the more we walk towards the new nature, the more mature we become. The more we stay in the old nature, the more childlike, childish we are. Like Anna told us, two or three weeks ago when she gave her, her God story, she stood up here and she said, I was living like an orphan, right? I was abandoned. My, my family was gone. I, you know, she lost all these people in her life. And then one day the Lord showed her, you are not an orphan. Jesus knew we were all orphans, all of us, whether or not we were literal orphans or simply just without God as our father. 
And he promises he will come to us and build his life in our hearts. And we have his Holy Spirit who comes to lead us into all truth and freedom. And he's going to teach us and is teaching us how to live as an actual child of God. He knew he was God's beloved son, right? Jesus knew who he was and that God was well pleased with him. And he lived out of that identity. And he's calling us into that too. But we have to yield and cooperate with God because we have to be willing to throw off that old nature, right? This is not a passive thing. I get baptized and it's all done for me. This is an active thing we have to practice. Like most things in the kingdom, it's a collaborative work with God. We don't do this by ourselves, and God doesn't do it just for us. We do it with God. That's his pleasure, to be one with us. 100% God, 100% us. So, what causes fights and quarrels among us? Bindu, can you go on to the next one, please? Don't they come from these desires inside of us? I think that's true for me. I think that most of the conflicts I have gone through, particularly with my friend all those years ago at my school, were really due to some unmet need or desire or perceived unmet need or desire within myself. A moment where I didn't really trust and seek God to meet what I wanted and needed. So I went to fight for it. Or I went to defend for it. This also seems to be the case for many of the people who come to me for help with the conflicts they're facing in their life. And lately, I've had a lot of phone calls. Can I talk to you? I just thought I could talk to you about this. And I end up doing some conflict unearthing and resolution. Essentially, you know, some of these people are hot. I mean, angry. Some of these people are just confused. And the intensity of their emotions, like I, I, Gina already gave half my sermon, right? The intensity of the emotion makes the conflict seem way bigger than the conflict actually is. So what I would often say to these folks is, have you gone to Jesus with this? And you'd be surprised. God-loving people, really powerful people in the Lord, they're like, huh, no, I actually haven't. I'm like, I guarantee you, if you take this conflict to Jesus, he will give you a different perspective of what you're dealing with. I, I had a friend who, just for some reason, always triggered me, this poor person, always triggering me, right? And I don't know why. I didn't know why. And one day I said to the Lord, what is my problem? Why is this always triggering me? Why does everything this person do irritate me? And the Lord said, if you could see what it takes for them to walk through every day, you would have a very different attitude. Whew. Changed everything. Changed everything. Everything. So over and over again, my friends, and like Gina said today, you know, when I took it to God, I saw, whoa, there was a lot more in there than I realized. And then God started to heal me. So I have to tell you something. This, this is unbelievable. You know, a week you're teaching on conflict resolution, the week after he's teached on friendship. One of my very best friends. I mean, the top two who will be carrying my coffin. Um, actually totally ghosted me when my mom went in the hospital and my sister-in-law's having brutal open-heart surgery. I mean, just ghosted me. Didn't respond to my text at all. 
And I know she doesn't often check her text messages. So I gave her a little time. And a couple days later, I'm like, did you get my message? And the response was like, yeah, I'm dealing with something. And how's your sister-in-law? Is she all better? I'm like, whoa, okay. It's going to take her three months to recover from this surgery. Now, I had to go to God, right? Because I was angry. I was hurt. I felt abandoned. I was like, you're like one of my very best friends. And you're literally not even going to say, how are you? So I ran to God. I was like, okay, Lord, is this my orphan crying out? Am I being overly sensitive? Or is this a real issue that I need to contend with with my friend? And I prayed over it for like a week. But I took my anger to God that first night because I didn't want to go to bed angry at one of my closest friends. And um, it was interesting. I actually waited and waited, and I didn't feel like God told me to call. And then one day, I was praying in the morning. I'm like, do I deal with this before my sermon or not? (laughs) And he's like, call her this morning. Now, when I say that, it's just an impression. It's like, today's okay. Today's a safe time to call her. So I texted her. I'm like, can we chat? She's like, absolutely. An hour in the phone on the way home to see my mom, I could lovingly and kindly say, you know, you really let me down. What's going on in your life? And I started with that. What's going on in your life? What's happening? And she told me what she was wrestling with. And it was difficult, but it wasn't so difficult that she couldn't have written me back and said, I'm thinking of you, or are you okay, or checking in, something. And do you know, oh my gosh, it was such a beautiful moment. Because I love this woman. I don't want to lose this friendship, and I don't want to be angry with her. And I need her. And we, as Rich said last week, we declared again to each other what we meant to one another. We reaffirmed our friendship. And she must have apologized four times in the course of that hour. And I said, I already forgave you, but it's really lovely to hear you recognize that this was not just some whiny thing in me, but a serious thing that we needed to deal with because I need to know that I can depend on you as much as you can depend on me. And it was amazing. So I had to tell her the truth. Let's go on to the next scripture. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, let us tell our neighbors the truth, because we're all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, because it gives the devil a foothold. I know this scripture. I don't want anything come in between my relationship with this woman or with any of my friends. So take our anger to God, let him deal with the anger, and then get his perspective on how to move forward. I had to carry my pain around for a while, right? I had to be willing to carry it for the sake of our friendship. But when it was time to really tell her the truth, I could genuinely do it in love, genuinely. And we are actually closer because of it. I think that can be true of all of us who have struggled with conflicts. As we walk through them, we can be closer after them because of the compassion God has released in us. There's there's a very famous quote by author John Seymour who says, emotions make great servants, but they make tyrannical masters. They cannot rule our lives. And all of the conflict resolution literature says that we should deal with our emotions in a safe, private place, especially really intense ones, and then go and do the conflict management. 
Okay, so I'm going to take, I'm going to suggest now some strategies to help us deal with the conflict in our lives, especially those that are fueled by really powerful emotions. If any of what I'm about to share rings true in your heart, I want to invite you, before this baby comes, to speak to either Jess, Mel, or to me about the work that we've been doing in a course called Emotionally Formed, different levels of this course, that really help us understand what's going on inside ourselves, inside our family dynamics, that can help us better relate to other people. So if you want more of that, come and see us. And, and that's due, this baby's coming early <laughs> December, so talk to her soon. Okay. Jess will help connect you with, or I will, with the people that are over this thing. Okay, so I have five slides that are samples of how we can move from this sort of orphan identity I've been talking about to the identity of what Jesus bought for us, which is to be God's child. Out of these five, in addition to these five, there is a list like this long online, maybe 20, 25 ways to move from different parts of the way you think and feel into God's child image. If this resonates with you, at the end of these five slides, I have a, UR, a QR code that you can scan. So get your phones out if this is interesting to you. You can scan this QR code and it'll come up with the bigger list that is attached to this short introduction. Okay, the orphan, go ahead, Bindu. The orphan will feel like they are alone. They lack a daily vital intimacy with God and they are full of self-concern, right? One who's growing into the child of God has a growing assurance that God really is my loving heavenly father. And, and I would like to just say that in my life, I have been all of these things on the left side and I can see God moving me over to the right side. In some of them, but not all of them, I still have work to do. So, none of this is accusatory. This is just real. N number two, the orphan tends to be anxious over felt needs, relationships, money, health. I'm all alone. Nobody cares. I'm not a happy camper. Whereas the person trying to, becoming more like God trusts the Father and has a growing confidence in his loving care, is being freed up from worry. The orphan lives on a succeed-fail basis, needs to look good and be right, is performance-driven. Whereas the child of God is learning to live in daily conscious partnership with God and isn't fearful. I lived in this next one forever. The orphan feels condemned, guilty, and unworthy before God and others. Where the one who is being transformed feels loved, forgiven, and totally accepted because of Christ's merits, which really do clothe him or her. The orphan has little faith, lots of fear, and lots of faith in him or herself. I will fix this. Where the child of God has a daily working trust in God's sovereign plan for their life, uh, for their life as loving, wise, and best, and believes that God is good. We are all moving from the left column to the right. And if you want more, here's the chart I mentioned. You can just scan this code. This is a very helpful uh, chart.
Now, once we understand our own responses to conflict and can more fully entrust our well-being to God, we're going to be in a better place to help others with conflict and de-escalate conflicts of our own. Now, if you want to, I'm going to give you, we're going to finish today with eight steps to learn a very useful tool, which is active listening. There are endless YouTube videos on conflict management. Endless. I googled TED Talks on conflict resolution or conflict management. 80. 80 TED Talks on conflict. So it's clearly something we need in the world. But I'm going to teach us what James teaches us, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Isn't it cool? There it is, right there in the Bible before anybody made a list of eight steps to active listening. But we will now go through them one at a time. And each slide has four, Bindu. Okay. Eight steps to active listening. First of all, take nonverbal clues. If somebody's going, I'm fine, they are not fine. Okay? If someone's going, oh, yeah, it's good, we're good, we're good, we're good. They are not good. All right, take the nonverbal cues. Number two, listen in order to understand. This takes the presence of the Holy Spirit. All of these do, by the way. Because if you're listening, at the same time you're thinking of your own defense or what you're going to say next, you're not listening out of love. You're not listening to understand. Ask me how I know. I had to learn that one really bad. Number three, avoid interruptions. One of the worst conflicts I ever walked myself into happened because I was trying to counsel someone who was deeply in pain while driving through one of the worst wind and rainstorms of the year as trees were falling on the side of the road and my GPS was redirecting me at dusk where I didn't know where I was. And this person is crying their eyes out on the other end of the phone. Can you go to number four, please? I should have! But no, I was in like, up in like, um, you know, Doylestown area and not following any way I knew how to get home. I was in the United States. Okay, so, you know, number four is don't be distracted. Not only was I having a million interruptions from my GPS, I was constantly distracted and worried for my life and worried about this person and not knowing what to do. And I just should have said, I can't do this right now. But I didn't know this person very well and I didn't want to abandon them in the midst of their pain. It was terrible. And it was terrible. I mean, it took like a year to walk that conflict out. It was bad. So let's go on to number five, withholding judgment. But I have to say it did. It did resolve. And we're doing really well, by the way. Okay, number five, withhold judgment. How easily I can sit and listen to someone and go, oh, I know exactly what they need. I know what they need. This is their issue. Yeah. When I do that, I'm not listening. I'm not actively paying attention. And when we listen without judgment, it gives space. Because some of us are verbal processors. And some of us need space to actually figure out what's going on inside of us. 
So that extra time, I have to say, Rich is so good with this with me. He gives me so much space when I'm wrestling with something. Number six, ask deeper questions. He does this too. So are you thinking this? It's so helpful. Deeper questions, clarifying questions. Number seven, slow down, practice silence. This comes so easily to me. <laughs> slow down, practice silence. People need space. And number eight is my favorite because it shows the most love, I think, even more than all these others. And this is what I learned to do with my friend across that table for 18 hours. What I think I hear you saying is this. Did I hear you correctly? And then they have an opportunity to say, what you didn't hear was this. And then I go back and say, okay, I, now I hear you saying this. Have I missed anything else? This is an act of reconciliation and love. So last slide, if you're interested in more details on conflict resolution, this is a fantastic video. Pull out your phones, or you can look it up online um, on our website. This will be visible. This is a wonderful video on YouTube that gives 14 tools <clears throat> to resolving conflict. 14 tools, and they're really great, but it's like a 15, 20-minute video. Too long to show here. So, we're going to get ready to worship the Lord again. And uh, some of you are still dealing with that person in your heart and your mind, and there's some conflict that you want some prayer for to get resolved. Um, during the second set of worship, we're going to ask if you are on our ministry prayer team to come and, and join us over here, and some of us will be praying for you. Uh, if you have walked through conflicts and you've seen God's mighty hand, come and pray for someone who might be wrestling with this. Um, conflict resolution can seem impossible sometimes, but Jesus told us with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. But the key is we have to do it with God. With God, nothing is impossible. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the way you walk us from what we know of our wounds and our orphan mindsets, and you bring us powerfully into the identity of your child. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us how to listen and how to love, how to not be easily angered. We can't do any of this without you, Lord, but with you we can do all of it. Will you come now? We worship you, we honor you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to do your ministry now in power. In power, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.